0: Continuing through the book of Romans today, we're in Romans chapter 1. We started last week. This is not going to be a 14-year endeavor, which means we're walking through and seeing the actual argument, what Paul's emphasis is as we walk through and understand this incredible letter. It's about the gospel. We saw that last week we saw as we saw in, in verse 16 of chapter 1 if you see it says for i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes to the jew first also the greek i'm not ashamed of the gospel where we started last week as the theme of the letter and why would paul say he's not ashamed He's saying that the gospel is the righteousness of God. I'm never going to be ashamed of that. And he's making an Old Testament claim. I hope you caught that as we went through last week. Here's Psalm 34, verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Look at Jesus in Luke nine twenty six. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. These words, this foundational belief that we're standing on and will grow in in Romans is the gospel. May we never be ashamed. It's the very righteousness of God. So here's the question that we're going to jump into. Here's the question. Why is the gospel the revealing of God's righteousness? And why can it only be gotten through faith? Why is this thing we call the good news, the righteousness of God, can't we see righteousness in other places? So my goal this morning is that first, you will agree with me today from the Bible You will agree with me that unrighteousness exists and that God is very justly angry at it. It's very important to start at this truth today, but it's hard. I'm going to ask you to bear with me. This is super important for us. This is the ground on which we're going to jump into, but but walk with me. It's more than you think. We've heard this so often. We sing the gospel every week in our songs. Oh, God, we're so grateful you love us. We're so thankful for what you've done for us. Jesus is good. And we live in a society where good and bad are kind of mixed up, and we start to decide what's good and bad. And, and so we need to back up this morning, and you need to be faced with it. And it's somewhat shocking. So there'll come a point in which if you're here with your kids and you didn't put your kids in the back as you like to have them with you, there might be a point in which you want to stand up and let your kids go because unrighteousness is that bad it really is and we need to know it we need to be faced with it so that's what we're doing today is we're we're looking at god against unrighteousness that's our backdrop for romans look with me we're going to pick it up in romans chapter 1 verse 18 and paul writes this he says for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven Paul is writing, he's beginning what's going to be this incredible defense of the gospel, and he starts here, the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men. And he's speaking to a primarily Gentile church, although Jews, Gentiles mixed in, but it's the church at Rome. We need to remember that. And yet here he is presenting what is essentially the Jewish version of the Gentiles. Look at these unrighteous people. Their unrighteousness leads to the suppression of the truth. And so, first, I want to look at with you the backdrop of truth suppressed. God speaks truth. God is about reality. And there are some people out there who deny this. This makes them without excuse. There's no excuse for what they're doing, and it's no small thing. We know this from our very first breath in the Bible, don't we? There's Adam and Eve in the garden and Adam and Eve looking and and Eve seeing and being tempted to say, look, there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil so I can decide for myself what's good and bad. And and they taste and see and it's good. And then all of a sudden they look, oh, no, I'm naked. Let's go get some clothes on. We're going away from what God says is good and and, and deciding ourselves. Clearly, we, we can see what good and bad are without God. But this isn't about the creation story. This is about now. 18 is this overview statement, right? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness right now and unrighteousness of men. By their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. And the verse 19 begins to explain it for us. For what can be known about God is plain to them. God has shown it to them. It's like if I, if, if, if you walk into the parking lot, you are just walking along and you run into a car. Let's make it a nice car. Fifty seven Chevy. Is that a nice car? I don't know. I'm not a car guy. But say you pick a nice car and you look at it and you look at shaped metal and you look at lights and you look at and you say, "Oh, I, I've never seen a if you've never seen a car before, I've never seen that one." You, you can't tell ex- all everything about who made it, can you? But you can tell some things. Look, the person who made this, they like to shape things with metal. They, they make lights for headlights. Wow, that's interesting. They, they use wheels. Head, even no wheels have been invented yet. Wow, that's incredible. Obviously, they like to drive fast. There's a steering wheel there. You can learn some things about who made that car, couldn't you? And the argument that he begins to make Paul does, is that when you look at creation, the things of God, that you can see things about God. You can't see everything. He's not saying that. He's saying there's things you can see. What can you see? That's verse 20. Look for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. You can't see everything from God, but you can see these invisible things. Wait, I can't see invisible things. Oh, yes, you can. They have been clearly perceived, he says, since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. So what he's saying is, look, we're the car. We're the creation. And when you look around, you see, look, we had a maker. Somebody made us and the things that we do, socialization. Taking care of our kids. The wonder of biology. But not just biology, even our interactions as people. They reveal something about our Maker. I was looking at the news. I don't very often. It's so uplifting. But I was looking at the news yesterday, and they were talking about down in, down south, just a little ways here in Washington, and um, there's a, a young 11 year old at Albertsons. Everybody hear this? Thus yesterday in albertson's there's a young boy who went into the bathroom and there was someone there who an older man who's going to attack him and they were struggling and you know what the people in albertson's they heard and they all went and they drunk and they gang tackled the guy that was attacking him and the little kid got away is that cool they knew it was wrong you see they didn't hear noises of a struggling oh okay uh, it doesn't matter no, there's something in them and said, wait, that's wrong. And they went, and they did it, and they said, I know. I know there's something wrong going on here. I don't know everything about what's going on, but I know something's not right. So, Paul writes, they are without excuse those who deny that there is a God. They know. When people know there's a God, and yet they deny him in what they do and how they live, this suppresses the truth. That's what it does. If God made things a certain way, and you know that it's that way, and you say, no, it's not, you're going against God. That's pretty, huh? But if I would tell you, as you look at that, no, that's not a flower. That's not pink and a flower. There's nothing there on the screen. Nothing. If I kept insisting on that, after time, you guys would say, Dex, either you're blind or you're willfully telling me there's something not there that is. This is our argument. And so we have verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew God, they didn't know everything about Him, but they knew there was a real God and they even knew some things about Him, but they would not honor Him as God or be thankful. That's what was required at the very minimum. And they, therefore, were choosing willfully to turn from God. We see this in the Bible and other places, don't we? Remember the Tower of Babel? It's good for us. We're going to be gods. Let's just make a big tower. We can get to heaven on our own. Or in Noah's day, they'd never seen rain. So Noah's there building an ark, and people are laughing at him. What, God told you to do that? Oh, the God. (laughs) What do they need to do? Maybe we can convince them. I think we're fighting the wrong battle, you and I, when we argue over whether or not there's a God, because Paul writes, they knew, they know, they know there's a God. God can be seen as you look out on creation. By the way, this is not, this is not, I'm not just talking about people who believe in evolution. I'm talking about people who know there's a God. Everybody does. And yet deny there's a God. That's whether or not you believe in evolution. Evolution has a very high bar because there are a lot of people who use evolution to hide that they don't believe in God. And yet if you believe in God, he's, that's what he's after. You know there's a God. However the means of his creation was, you know there's a God. People out there know there's a God. They don't know Jesus Christ. They deny him. But they deny there's even a God. We're fighting the wrong battle to argue whether there's a God. They know. God's anger is revealed against unrighteousness. And it's defined here for us, people who know there's a God, but suppress the truth. And so here, in this little beginning, he announces the revelation, the revealing of God's wrath, and explains why that wrath is justified. People commit ungodly and unrighteous acts, suppressing the truth. Paul can accuse people of suppressing because God's given people a knowledge of who he is. Not a saving knowledge, but, but basics. Very supported in the Old Testament. Read Amos. You stand up and the, the Amos is, turns around and looks at all these nations that are not God's people under the law. He turns and he looks and he says, You, Tyre, and you, Edom, and you, you haven't been kind to your fellow man. Kind to your fellow man? You know you should be that way. Okay. So, so here it is, that there's unrighteousness. Unrighteousness, the stem of it is knowing there's a God, but denying Him, not being thankful. This base, base piece. And therefore, we have this revealed wrath. Continue to develop that as He goes what paul does is he does this threefold handing over that reveals god's wrath people are doing something and three times here god hands them over take a look with me claiming to be wise verse 22 they became fools and exchanged here's the first exchange exchanged the glory of the immortal god for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So do you see it? Unrighteous people, they claim to be wise, but they're fools. Because whatever else they know, if they denied God and they denied their creator, they're going to be subject to God's wrath. Especially if they're stealing our cars. (laughs) But instead of glorifying God and being thankful to him, they worship idols, the creation, right? We know some of these people from the Bible, the Canaanites. Man, those people, they they turned away from the one true God, and there they are worshiping idols. They deserve what they get. Today we worship creation, we worship ourselves, we worship strength or money or power or people. If you do that and not God, you're a fool. There there, there it is. And God's wrath is revealed as he lets people do what's unnatural. Here's what's natural. That the person who's created might give thanks to the God who created them. They refuse. Therefore, God says this. Hey, they have lust in their hearts. I won't check it. I won't stop them. I won't keep them in the straight and narrow. I'm going to let that bear fruit, evil fruit. This is the wrath of God. This is God's anger. He doesn't stop them. They they first exchange. They first sin. Therefore, God is furious at them rightly. So here's the second exchange. Because, it says, they exchanged the truth about God, verse 25, for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator who's blessed forever. Amen. It's the truth about God. They exchanged it for a lie. God didn't create me. I wasn't created by anyone. I'm my own man. I know what's good and bad on my own. I don't need a figment of somebody's imagination as an imaginary invisible God. I worship strength. Evil. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Lust in their hearts already there. God, revealing that they're unnatural. This is unnaturalness and bad. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women, were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. This is heavy stuff. Look, unrighteousness. Exchanging the truth about God for a lie. There is no God. I am God. And so you have God giving them up. The revelation of God's wrath. This is God's wrath that they go to do unnaturalness. It's easy to go to Sodom here. Maybe you know Sodom and Gomorrah, it's in Genesis eighteen and nineteen. Abraham's defending evil Sodom before you even know what they're doing. He's he's defending them saying, If there's any righteous person in there, surely it's gonna be okay, God. Don't don't pour your wrath out. And then in in chapter 19, you actually see the angels come down to see Sodom, their men, and they're, they're in Lot's house, and all of the men in the city gather around and say, Send them out to us, we want to know them. It's the Bible's form of know. That is the revelation of God's wrath. Look, all of these people, none of them thankful to God, all of them wanting to do what's unnatural. What Jude 7 calls unnatural desires. The wrath of God is allowing unnaturalness, not what we were created for, not the purpose. There is a purpose, God's purpose, and in untruth, people go off and the Lord lets them. A shining example of unnaturalness. Revealing what is unnatural and wrong according, not to me, according to God. And the effect is horrible. Receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. This is not, he's talking about homosexuality. Unnaturalness as a revelation of God's anger. And the due penalty for their error is not talking about AIDS. It's talking about eternal wrath of God. And that the revealing that, yes, this is where I am, that I might so far walk away from God that that I'm actually engaged in utter unnaturalness. The amazing thing is our society says, big deal. This ought to grieve our hearts. There's a third exchange. Look at 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy and murder and strife. Deceit and maliciousness, they are gossips and slanderers and haters of God and insolent and haughty and boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. There's no way to really categorize these nicely. God's saying, look, this is the revelation of wrath, that people are this way. You see, their their, their root sin, the thing that God gets furious about, is that he made them, and they're denying the very natural response of even being thankful to God that they were made. And then, they're off doing all this stuff. I like 31. Brainless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They got nothing. By the time you see these things, by the time you're looking at people and they're doing these things, it's already too late. It's like one of the great medical diseases that you see famously is pancreatic cancer. It's like this. Somebody's fine and they're fine and they're living their life and you don't know. They've got cancer going in them. But by the time you see the jaundice, yellow skin, and you look and say, "Oh, you have pancreatic cancer." By the time it's grown enough to block the bile duct, they're dead. They're so bad. And so, by the time we see these revelations of the wrath of God, that He's allowed people to go this far to do it's un- all of these are unnatural things, all manner of unrighteousness. Murder, deceit, maliciousness, haters of God. By the time you see that, the disease is far along. So Friedrich Schiller famously said, the history of the world is the judgment of the world. Okay, that's our text. There's one more verse. There's a response to all this. You know, doubling down is. Though they know, verse 32, God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. These people, they know God, they know the decree in their heart, they know these things are unnatural. Do they repent? Are they heartbroken? Do they at least say, oh, no, I'm done, but how can I save someone else? No, they double down. I'll bring someone else along with me. Ha! <laughs> I'll decide what's good for me and for them. Thank you very much. Who are these people? I want to say Paul is referring back only to someone like Sodom and Gomorrah long ago because this has got to be very, very unusual that this happens. Surely he's talking about Sodom because not just one of them came out but the whole town came out together doubling down. They have no restraint. The words won't let me. The words aren't talking about things in the past. It's not just This is what happened long ago, and now we know better, right? So this is where it gets a little bit stronger. We're talking about unrighteousness and God justly angry at unrighteousness. Do you feel that? Do you feel that viscerally? Do you know that there's really unrighteousness out there? There's really wrong out there? We're not just all sort of getting a little bit better and trying our best to be good. There's wrong and unrighteousness all around us. Do you really see it? It, it, it we ought to be just at such a low place seeing these things and or or we ought to be just angry with god and so let's do the anger thing for a minute i want people who are unrighteous to be punished do you remember this event history Remember mankind that would take less than a hundred years ago that would take another race and starve them and then gas them? Do you think that's good? Do you want those people to be punished? Is it good that God's angry at that? I think it's good that God's angry at that. By the way, I'm showing some of this just very briefly, very carefully. There are pictures I can't show in church. You can find easily Because what? Because you throw up. Because I want to throw up when I see him. It's a very technical term, throw up. But it's that bad, right? These people died. Kids. Taken by anyone instead of cared for. Killed. Experimented on. This doesn't look like a very bad picture. It's 15,000 pounds of hair. That's what it is. Because before they killed people, they would shave their hair and save the hair. Seven tons of hair. Is it not horrible what people do? Is it not unrighteous? Is God not justified to be angry? You want to cry. What man does to man. Here's one maybe you've seen. This picture won the Pulitzer Prize in America in 1993-94. In that time, the Sudanese were fighting each other, and this poor little girl, who is starving to death and barely able to move, is that way because instead of taking care of her and others like her, people are killing each other. And she's trying to do the best she can to pull herself to a United Nations food camp that's about a kilometer away from here. Think with me, though. Who took this picture? The man who took this picture waited 20 minutes watching. Why? He really wanted that vulture to open its wings. He'd you know, sit and Watch while this little girl barely could move, she maybe doesn't even have many heartbeats left. That man committed, who took the picture, committed suicide two years later. Seen too many horrible things. This is not fun. This is not wonderfully, this is is unrighteousness. It's horrible, and it's out there, and it deserves the wrath of God, doesn't it? Are you with me? Doesn't it deserve the wrath of God? Just one more. This is on display in New York right now. Maybe you've seen this one. Our God allows his wrath to be revealed. This is it. Wrath revealed, you guys. That's the crucifix, right? It's a picture, but you've heard of this one. The artist took the crucifix and he put it in a bottle of his own urine and took a picture. And it's displayed on art galleries in our country. The wrath of God is deserved. Who's going to do that? Isn't it disturbing? Yes, it's beyond disturbing. It's horrible, is it not? Find some anger with me. Find some, this is no excuse. They deserve what they get. If it's God saying that they really are unrighteous, they deserve it. Horrible crimes deserve horrible judgment. That's the truth. Are we so weak that we can't say it deserves judgment and punishment? May we not be so weak. Okay, so I need a small show of hands. Who's angry? Okay to be angry? Okay, be angry at this stuff. Be angry at this stuff. Be angry at with God. God himself showing that he's angry at this sin. He's angry at unrighteousness. And you know what? It's utterly deserved. It is. It is deserved to the hundredth percent deserved. they done that themselves. God didn't make them do it. God handed them over so they would do the things that they wanted to do, which are evil those guys in our country today. I want you with me because that's where Paul is. And we're supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to be doing this in our text. That's where he is. And we're going to close today with the first verse of chapter 2. As we do this, therefore, you have no excuse, oh man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. You, the judge, practice the very same things. Uh-oh. We need to end there. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, O woman, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We've seen today the deserved wrath of God. And I I hope that even with these few pictures, these are just a couple of examples, that you see, yes, there is unrighteousness out there. It's real. It's not made up. And that God's anger is justified at it. And as we pass judgment in our hearts, because I do, and I look and say, that deserves it, who I'm pointing at is me. This is the incredible truth that requires the gospel. Aaron, come on up, because we're going to close. And when we close, I want us to close with singing. Singing. And what I want you to do is sing like you haven't sung before. As we sing about the gospel that has saved our souls. We have not saved ourselves. These are incredibly, passionately hard and horrible things. That God is against unrighteousness, even mine. And yet, we have a Savior. It's not in this text. We're not there yet, but that's where we're going. We have a Savior. There is good news. It's not just this. This is not the end. This is, though, the convicting piece that says, Oh, I am the worst. Look, all of us. And we who have been there and our hearts are humbled might sing out to Jesus Christ. So we're going to sing how deep the Father's love for us. Sing it out that the Lord loves us. How incredible.